0: programs, treatments, or products. We thank you for joining us and are proud to provide excellence in broadcasting for the special needs community. And now, on to the interview. Good evening and welcome to the Coffee Clash. This is Marianne Russo and I cannot tell you how excited I am about tonight's show. As many of you know, I started the Coffee Clatch because I was trying to encourage parents to look for an organic or biological cause for their children's behaviors, um, depression, um, pain. And um, the guest we have tonight is just... Amazing, Dr. Mary Ackerley is an integrative psychiatrist who obtained her certification in the Shoemaker Protocol used to treat biotoxin-associated illnesses. She did her MD at the University of of Maryland, her medical residency at Johns Hopkins, her undergraduate degree at Harvard, and she now practices in Tucson, Arizona. Her interest in toxic mold stems from her clinical experience as an integrative psychiatrist, where she attracts people who weren't being helped by traditional medications, which is something that we very often find um, you know, with our children. Um, we go to doctors. They're given Zoloft or Prozac or other type of medication, and it doesn't help. It often makes things worse, and they wind up seeking out someone like her who's willing to do the really difficult work of uncovering what the problem is And although people complain of depression and anxiety, what Dr. Ackerley found was that fatigue and muscle and joint pain are the strongest complaints. Those complaints are usually ignored by, you know, very busy practitioners or other doctors who aren't informed because they lump together everything into depression and mental illness. So during a case study, she was supposed to learn to diagnose all of these somatic complaints such as depression, but she found something completely different. So I am thrilled to have Dr. Mary Ackerley with us. Hi, how are you? Okay, great. Well, this is very interesting, Um, you know, to me, because you're a psychiatrist, an integrative psychiatrist, and it's very difficult. You know, I know that with my own daughter, I found that, you know, I was very fortunate that I did find someone, but it's very difficult to get someone to start to look for an organic or a physical reason for the behavior so how did you as a psychiatrist first become involved and you mostly um looked into mold is that correct yes
1: um i actually um as you already stated would be attracting people that were um that um were not helped by traditional meds and would come seeking out my help and some of these people actually were seeing um and other doctors, they had been evaluated for chemical sensitivities, Lyme, and mold. And I got pretty fascinated by the people with the mold protocols as, because, in my experience, I thought mold was, you know, caused allergies and that was it. I had no idea it could cause um, systemic problems. And I sort of was a little bit skeptical or a lot skeptical. And I started to learn how to do the tests and found that when you learned how to measure cytokines and look at genetic influences, a large proportion of the people I was seeing that weren't getting better from traditional meds had basically inflammation, chronic inflammation, and usually due to mold, because we don't have that much lime in Arizona. So I um, just started, you know, studying more, doing the tests, and my biggest experience or best experience was seeing people get well, and some people get well very quickly. Well, what, from, what was
0: the, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh,
1: no, that's fine.
0: I was going to say, you know, what is the connection between the inflammation and the psychiatric disorders? Because you said that it's a systemic problem. So I guess it's a two-fold question. First, I would ask you, do you find that this is mostly with mold? Um, what other type of... Um, immunological stimulations um, would be involved, and how does that cause inflammation?
1: Okay, question. Um, Mold is not the only thing which causes inflammation. Um, Lyme is another very big player, of course. Um, There are other infections such as strep, which can cause pandas, um, or basically what we know as OCD, but um, the strep actually is causing an immune response in the brain,
0: gallbladder. Um, it's just mind-boggling right, because right. it's yeah, so that's... hard for people to to really pick this apart. Um, and you know, it, it, we've had our home tested for mold because you know, after I read this article of yours a year ago, I had my house tested, and there was none. So, what do people do now? First and so obviously children are affected by this. It's not just adults. So you mostly deal with the adult population, is that correct?
1: No. I deal with both because as a psychiatrist, um, I I find that a broad number of children where we know there's been mold exposure, and I find um, that the manifestations in children, and these are just my observations, that I tend to see more psychiatric manifestations than physical, um, although I see the physical. And I think that's because the brain is developing, um, obviously during childhood and growing, and mold loves fat. It's attracted to fat. So the brain is 60% fat, your nervous system has your myelone sheath, which is fatty, and mold seems to attack that. And as a child is growing, that seems to result in more what are called psychiatric disorders. So I have a you know collection of children who have been diagnosed um, with severe depression or bipolar and have had long stays in psychiatric hospitals or have been taken to places in Utah and Montana for special schools. Um, And when they're treated properly for mold, their symptoms abate um, tremendously. You know, one kid whose brain now looks normal and is back in school. So that's, um, that's well, I think other people have said the same thing with Lyme psychiatrists. I've heard a psychologist mention the same thing, that in teenagers, young adults, they're seeing psychiatric as the prominent, and of course, that immediately gets tracked into getting put on medications and treated psychiatrically, especially if there's suicide threats, and nobody really pays too much attention to the physical um, complaints.
0: All right. And, so, you know, you mentioned, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, finish.
1: No, um but I think that's I very
0: frustrating talk- for, for both adults and for parents because you have a really, really sick child, um, or you yourself are truly sick, difficult to even get your head off the pillow. Um, Agreed. And yeah. people are not listening to you. You know, it's all in your head, it's mental illness, and they don't dig deep. Now, earlier you had brought up cytokines. You know, I had um, met um, Dr. Andrew Zimmerman down at John Hopkins. You might know him. And one of the things um, with my panda's daughter was that when she w- had a fever, she was completely without the disorder. And um, he had been doing a lot of research in that. And he explained that he found actually in children with autism that the release of cytokines, that when they had a fever, even nonverbal children would actually speak words. So cytokines plays a very big role in inflammation and in a lot of behaviors um, and, like you said, your systemic problems. So what are cytokines, so that people will understand what you were referring to, and how does the release of cytokines affect inflammation?
1: Okay, Um, cytokines are, the best way to understand them, they're the hormones of the immune system. They're chemicals released by white blood cells usually or um, fat cells that travel through the bloodstream and they're supposed to alert other components of the immune system to identify and attack the um, offending invader. And that's their purpose. And it's part of what we call the primitive immune system. Um, there are more advanced ways to kill things that were developed later in our evolution. What happens with um, mold patients and Lyme patients, as Dr. Shoemaker found, is they have a certain haplotype, or haplotype is a collection of genes on chromosome 6 that are um, involved in immunity. And they have a certain combination of genes that are unable to deal um, efficiently with mold or with Lyme, or with mold and viruses. So um, we will test people's haplotypes and can look at that and say, okay, it's just said colloquially, you have a mold gene, meaning you have a gene which has to use a primitive immune system to try and get rid of mold. And what it does is it releases cytokines when it you know, senses the invader is in the body the cytokines end up, are, which are designed to kill the mold, basically end up doing more damage in the body. And that's a short story. It's very complicated. There are a number of cytokines. Um, they do play, you know, they're not only pro-inflammatory, some of them regulate inflammation. It's a um, fascinating um, part of medicine to understand it, but for the most part, the cytokines we're talking about are inflammatory. They travel through the blood, they get into the brain, they get into the muscle and joints and tissue, and that's what causes the inflammation.
0: You know, it's interesting that you mentioned virus, because I was trying to, you know, after I read your um paper you know last year i was trying to look at um, environmental toxins but you just mentioned viruses my daughter became very sick after a coxsackie virus that's what started the whole thing so i guess you just never know um you know whose body is going to react to what um you know you you speak i often speak about the um hypothalamic pituitary axis um to parents and the importance of understanding the function of the amygdala Um, but you explained that there's a stress relationship between cortisol and brain inflammation. So how do stress hormones, and obviously if you're sick and pain, depressed, anxious, you know, if you have any of these things, it's just going to, you know, cause more cortisol to be flying around. So what is the connection between cortisol and inflammation?
1: Um, Yes, you're going to see a dysregulation, certainly, of the hypothalamic pituitary axis, and that's where some of the greatest damage is done by the cytokines and the neuroinflammation. So you have the neuroinflammation, you have basically the cytokines penetrating the uh, blood-brain barrier. Your hypothalamic pituitary axis is not even that well protected, and it gets damaged. And in your as you understand, the hypothalamic pituitary axis is what controls the hormones in the body. So when you start to damage that, you lose control and you get this regulation. And that is um, what happens. We measure a number of hormones when we're looking for mold toxicity. Some of the usual players would be cortisol, sex hormones, testosterone, and then some unusual ones like melanocyte simulating hormone which is involved in releasing melatonin. It's also um, involved in endorphins. And when it's low, um, it it really promotes inflammation in the body. So that is um, very, very common in biotoxin illness.
0: And that's just—it's amazing—and I'm so glad you're here to explain it because you're you're explaining it so well. Um, And I know it it took me a long time to get it. I wish I spoke to you years ago. Um, You also wrote about a leaky brain. Um, Yes. What is a leaky brain, and how does that fit into all of this?
1: The blood-brain barrier is supposed to keep your brain intact and protected from. Um, anything, invading viruses, um, chemicals that shouldn't be there, toxins. When you start to have problems um, with cytokines, or there may be other reasons, um, you, you start to get what's called a permeability. Things sneak through that shouldn't get through. And then the brain, although it does have an immune system, is pretty unprotected, and that starts to create real havoc. So the problems we see, we label as depression or bipolar because there's a change in neurotransmitters. The change in neurotransmitters is probably downstream um, from the actual inflammatory attack. And that's what I was trying to say in the beginning, that it's not just mold. It can be Lyme. It can be strep. It could be toxoplasmosis. Um, When those things enter the brain, they cause a lot of damage. And I actually suspect, I should just add it, that if... When this becomes more wide known, um, that if we, were to, if, if we were to test just a typical psychiatric inpatient population using immune tests, looking for cytokines, looking for mold, looking for Lyme, I think we'd find that 25% of the people there really had immune problems and not just, quote, pure psychiatric. That's yeah, my I mean- hypothesis.
0: I, I have posted on our website I'm going to direct people to that and also your website but I mean the the uh, statistics that you um, mentioned in your report were just staggering to me I mean I was really shocked to see listed so many devastating and severe mental illnesses among some um, that people can get due to mold or other um, you know immunological stimulations um, you mentioned psychosis bipolar schizophrenia um, you know that's just to name a few but what, what really struck me was the cognitive impairments and brain rain fog, such as executive functioning skills, um, that we see, is a you know major problem for ADHD. I mean, how widespread do you think this is?
1: Extremely, extremely. Um, here in Arizona, we use something called a swamp cooler. You may never have heard of it. I haven't, being from the east. But it's basically um, a huge vat of water that is um, used before we start the monsoons. It sprays water into the house, and that. leads to evaporative cooling, and it's been used for a long time here, um, probably since the 30s. Now, if you think about it, you have a big vat of water, usually sits on the top of the house, it heats up, um, elements enter it, anything in the air can enter it, basically it's a perfect fostering ground for viruses, bacteria, and mold.
0: Sure. And
1: when we do um, studies of mold in the house, and I can talk about that a little bit later about how you're a detective and how you start looking for mold exposure, um, it's, we find very high levels of mold um, using something called the Hertzsby test, um, astoundingly high. And this is something that is used in like over 500 schools still in um, Tucson schools
0: wow. district.
1: So I just hypothesize, and okay, I'm just throwing this out there, but this is something I treat school principals and teachers all the time. Um, that the um, mold toxicity, we are you know, usually 49th in the country in any educational standard testing. I can tell you people here are not um, less intelligent than they are in New yeah, York. Yeah, that's quite They're a coincidence. Right. <laughs> it's like, how is it, you know, we're 49th right. in the state, these people here seem pretty intelligent too. Um, and I've wondered a lot, about the effect of swamp coolers, especially since there is a study, there's a study out of Poland that showed that children, they uh, found children at birth and they followed them for six years and they observed the amount of mold in their homes. So they had a group of people that had no, and this was just visible mold, okay? They had, they called it no mold if they couldn't see it and when it was visible, they said they had mold. They did IT tests at six years of age And they found that the children who had lived in mold for the full six years had a full 10-point lower IQ
0: than the children
1: who had not been exposed to mold. And the kids who had gotten out at about age three or so had about half the drop. So there seemed to be this dose-response curve. And that's pretty astounding. Ten points of your IQ is a lot to lose.
0: That's huge. Okay, so let's get to it now. So... As you were talking, I was thinking two things. So now everybody's going to be wondering, how do you find out if mold or another... Um, You know, stimulation is the cause of your psychiatric or physical symptoms. So in my mind, I'm thinking, well, if you removed yourself from wherever you are that has the mold, would that be sufficient or do you have to go through some type of a treatment? And um, you mentioned visible mold. So how do people check their environments? I mean, we just did a little scrape kit at the house that we put in different rooms, but sounding like that wouldn't be sufficient.
1: No, it's probably not, um, uh, not to scare anybody, but the best way to diagnose mold if you don't see it is to probably get some of the testing done and see, you know, does my child, do I, do I have the genetics? You know, if my genes are normal, I'm somebody who can probably live in some mold and I don't need to invest a lot of time in figuring this out. Um, if the genes are ones that make you susceptible to mold and the cytokines are elevated and the hormones are dysregulated there's a number of tests that you know shoemaker has devised when you see that pattern i can look at it and say oftentimes absolutely you know this is really you know you, you have very high what we call tgf beta or mmp9 and you have no msh and you should mm-hmm. certainly have some And it looks like you have biotoxin illness. You have two mold genes. So um, sometimes about half the people will come in and say they know there's mold in their apartment or whatever. They've had air testing. But the other half is like, I don't know. Um, And in Arizona, it's a big problem because it's dry and we don't really smell mold.
0: So you talked about the shoemaker. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah.
0: You talked about the shoemaker. Yeah. Yeah. Where do where do okay, people was, go to find out and get these type of testings? Do you do that, um, you know, can anybody call you from anywhere, or how would someone go about doing this?
1: Well, Shoemaker does have other doctors listed now who there may be one in your area who will do this testing. Um, yes, I do consults all over the country, and I can recommend the testing, show the diagnostic codes, and um what the tests are recommended. Many people will call me, do a consult, and have a local doctor sign off on the test and get the testing done. So um, it's it's becoming easier and easier as more doctors get certified or more doctors learn this is important, this is real. It just does take some training to actually master how to do it. So that is the first step, and that's a good step. Um, It's a
0: great thing that you, you know, um, are there, too, because, you know, oftentimes it's very difficult. Um, I'm in, you know, New York City, and it's difficult, so I can imagine in a really rural area. Um, So, you know, we are going to be giving your information out um, at the end, and um, I'm sure you're going to be getting a lot of calls. Um, You know, we we talked about what happens. We talked about causes. Um, You know, and I've done a lot of interviews on neuroplasticity. Um, you know, and how the brain can change. Is this something that you feel would fit into something like that? Are the treatments very effective? What are the treatments? And I want to move into talking about the very simple um, supplements and diets that can make a difference.
1: Yes. Um, One of the reasons I enjoy this a lot more in some ways than traditional psychiatry is that the treatments can be very effective and it's very satisfying to see people lose what they've been told they're going to have to be on meds for the rest of their life, or they've been told basically to put their, you know, stuff in order. They're going to need, you know, some sort of care, long-term care because of dementia. My first case was somebody that I was going to have to call that, that really got better, her sons to tell them to come. They're going to need to start to, you know, arrange things for her. Three weeks later, after I started her on cholestyramine, she returned. She was well, you know, she was talking to me alert, and there was no question of dementia. I was just astounded. And it happened again recently with a patient of mine who had come to me, um, an older woman with diagnosis of um, bipolar and pre-dementia. And when I saw her, you know, clearly I could understand why the diagnosis of pre-dementia had been made, and she was being seen in a dementia clinic. And I ran through all the mold and Lyme tests, and actually she tested highly positive for Lyme, and actually for heavy metals, too. And about six months later, after some Lyme treatment and heavy metal chelation, I I just saw her, and she seems normal. She's completely alert and fine and taking care of her needs, and there's no evidence of dementia. And, in fact, the psychiatrist seeing her at the dementia clinic had told her recently, well, I guess the diagnosis of dementia is off the table now. Oh, how? I was just, my jaw jaw dropped. Well, how rewarding is that? (laughs) Right. But, you know, my jaw dropped, but the psychiatrist just said it and never asked, well, what happened? What did you do? How did you possibly reverse this? Dementia is irreversible. This is, you know, mm-hmm. basically a chronic illness. It's like she wasn't in the least bit curious as to how this patient <laughs> had lost her dementia. It's died. scary.
0: It really is scary because, that you know, scary I, 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 I think that oftentimes, um, you know, there there are just like, In any profession, there are people that think out of the box and are open-minded, and then there are those that, you know, that's not what I was taught and don't look further. And, you know, that's where the danger comes in with the people you're talking about and, you know, situations like my daughter with the fibromyalgia. Um, You know, you were talking about heavy metals, which I know is controversial in autism. Do you think that any of this, the inflammation connection, the uh, cytokines and all of that, has any relation to possibly a subgroup of kids with autism?
1: Yes. Um, I have seen more than a few autistic kids where mold was present in the home, and it clearly makes things worse. When you can calm that inflammation and treat it, you'll get improvement. Um, I'm not claiming it's a cure for autism. I don't think there is ever going to be a cure for autism. But clearly, Mm -hmm. you know, if you have a brain that's already stressed for reasons that are not well understood, and it's being inflamed by the presence of mold or lime. treating that can make a difference. You talked about neuroplasticity, and I am a very big believer in neuroplasticity because I've Absolutely. seen things like dementia reversed, I've seen um, uh, severe depressions reversed, I've seen <clears throat> a kid whose brain showed, is actually showing atrophy in the frontal lobes, a year later have a completely normal brain, um i've seen that again and again and that's why i as i say enjoy being able to do this yes if you treat the inflammation there are two main parts to treating it very simple to understand you need to get out of exposure and you need to pull the mold and the toxins that are already in the body out of the body and you will see a return of function i have um Another gentleman came to me for pre dementia diagnosis at the age of fifty three His job all of his life has been maintenance, and he had no idea that um, cutting out mold, which is what he would do, um, maintenance of buildings or um, you know, handling mold. He had no idea that this was a problem. He never used protective clothing, never um, used any sort of containment, and he's basically been inhaling a lot of mold throughout his life and came to be extremely depressed with pre-dementia um, and pretty much sort of given up. This is the way it is. And started him, I could see immediately it was mold because not only did he have pre-dementia he had extreme pain in his neck, And his shoulders, he had cramps, he had shooting pains, he had respiratory stuff. He had a whole bunch of symptoms, not just the dementia. Started him on treatment, and, you know, two months later, he came back and he said, my brain is really working better. And I showed him his tests that showed all these things wrong and said, only found there's something really wrong with me. This is not hopeless, and I am just so incredibly grateful. You you
0: had mentioned removing the exposure. So what would come first? What would be, I mean, first, let's put it this way. If a a parent suspected this was the problem for their child, would their first line be to get in touch with you or another shoemaker um, doctor and get the tests done? Or what type of testing could they have done in their house? And then I do want to move along and start going into some of the treatments um, that you have before we run out of time. Okay. The
1: only testing I recommend doing is something called a Hertzme. And it's done by a company called Mycometrics in New Jersey. Find it on the internet. Don't have the phone number here. But Mycometrics um, offers a service where they do a DNA um, analysis of mold spores. And a Hertzme is about $150 and it checks for the five most dangerous types of mold. And you... Very easy to do your own hertz means. You take basically a swiffer cloth and you collect dust throughout the house. You may, if you have a big house, do a few rooms um, with each cloth. You send them in for analysis and you get a spore count. And Dr. Right. Shoemaker has cor- correlated those numbers. It's on his website with what's considered safe and what's considered not safe. You look at that spore count. You can see whether your house is safe, not safe, or maybe on the borderline, and then you, that, then you know that you do have a mold problem. At that point, if you can't figure it out yourself where the leaks are, air conditioners, roofs, um, washing machines, refrigerators, very common places where slow leaks happen and nobody has noticed them. Um,
0: if you right. can't
1: figure it out, that we involve, you know, have somebody coming in and looking for it. Do not spend a lot of money on air testing up front. It's very expensive, and it's not going to find mold nearly as easily as the Hurts Me does. In addition, the mold plates, if something grows on your mold plate, you're really in trouble. It's, it's pretty bad. So, um,
0: so what we're going to do is then I'm going to put this on the website um, so that um, okay. listeners can go when they go and they can get this information, so you can get that to me. We'll, we'll speak uh, probably during the week, um, and you can get me all this information. So now before and we I move on...
1: This,
0: okay. oh, I'm sorry, was go just ahead. I going
1: to mention that it's not just the home. Um, you're talking about kids. The school is incredibly important too, and in many cases, mm-hmm. it's not the home; it's the school, or daycare, or whatever the case may be. What, what um, daycare actually is notorious for having old things. Right. Yes.
0: Right. Now, before we move on to the recommendations that you have, um, I just want to say, as I always tell the listeners, as benign as these. Um, supplements and diets may be, you must always check with your healthcare provider to make sure that this is something that is good for you or for your child. So that said, um, you mentioned fish oil supplements, diet, and taking control. Um, so why don't you explain what the treatment that you use is? I know that you, you also just mentioned shellation and things like that, which are um, a lot different. So say somebody does think that this is a problem that they're having and they want to try to use some of the more benign supplements what would you recommend
1: well the first group that I'd be recommending are what we call the binders and one of the best reasons to see a doctor is that they can prescribe the best binder, the one that's the most studied which is called cholestyramine and that is a drug used to lower cholesterol but what it does is it binds to the bile in your body and prevents it from being reabsorbed. And when you have a problem with mold, the body's trying to detoxify it in the liver and it pushes it out through the bile. So when you can pull the dirty bile out and prevent it from being reabsorbed, you start to pull the mold out of the body. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So that's the... I, I will be honest that if you do know there's a mold problem that getting cholestyramine, that should really be tried because it's the most efficient.
0: Um, and that's actually testing once you know that you actually
1: have it. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and children can use that too. It's it's very safe, honestly. Um, okay. The binders you can use that you don't need a prescription for, um, charcoal and clay are pretty well studied in animals as being useful against mold. They do bind to toxins. Um, and there are a number of people I have who just can't tolerate polystyrene for one reason or another, use only charcoal and clay and get better. So you have to understand the really major thing you're doing in mold is getting out of exposure and pulling it out of the body. And as you're doing that, you can then start to treat the inflammation, and those are some of the natural things I've recommended. Fish oil is um, one of the first things what kind recommend. of ratio
0: in a fish oil? Because there's all different types of ratios. You know, for the DHA and the EPA. And, right.
1: I, it's not that specific. I see people get very hung up in the ratios. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure that the research is that good to say this is what's the perfect one for mold. Shoemaker usually recommends, and I do too, that for adults at least we're using four to eight grams of fish oil a day in the beginning wow. because what you're doing is what other people have referred to as a full oil change. You know, you're trying to get that fish oil, the EPA, DHA, into the brain and getting it to exchange in the myelin sheath with um, the toxins that are already being held in the sheath. You're trying to get the good oils in and the bad oils out. And okay. Those are high doses, but they're doses in which people will notice that their brain does start to function better and that their pain's reduced.
0: And, so, you, talk, uh, and you talk about diet.
1: Yes. I'm very big on diet. Um, and the more I practice, the more I see that diet is the choice you make every day for health or not for health. And you want to be eating foods that are not inflammatory for your body. And that, you know, for your body is really important. I tell most people to get off gluten. In dairy, it's pretty easy to um, do that now. People may disagree. But they're the two most common allergens. Many, many people are gluten sensitive, um, dairy sensitive. And especially when there's inflammation going on, you have control over what you eat. So um, getting off mm-hmm. gluten, getting off dairy um, is useful. My favorite diet tends to be a paleo diet because you're off oh, all we the we just
0: started that. Yes, it's a great diet.
1: Yes, and the grains themselves are highly inflammatory, not just because of the cross-reactivity of the glutens, but because grains are basically sugar and You know, most of us haven't understood that, that when we're eating our complex carbohydrates, we're really basically eating a lot of sugar. Mm -hmm. And the book Grain Brain by Dr. Perlmutter is a great book to explain that and how it affects the brain. So my recommendations are usually high fat, you know, as much coconut oil, olive oil, avocados, eggs that, you know, if you can tolerate eggs that you want, good protein, and lots of vegetables, and really certainly cutting out all processed sugars and grains. That works pretty well for the majority of people. I understand there are different variations. Um, mm-hmm. Some people, you know, really can't tolerate, say, eggs um, at all or soy, and I don't like so- soy or corn either. Yeah. Um, others, you know, seem to do better on vegetarian diets, um, you know, so you need to pay attention to your diet and recognize it
0: and how your body feels even 24 hours after you eat it Um, you know and you mentioned soy my daughter developed you know throughout the process she's become allergic to so many things that that nobody can figure it out but one of the things she developed is like you just said a soy allergy she gets anaphylactic reactions to soy where she was always able to eat soy before so you know that's why I'm so interested to have you here because it's unraveling this because I know a lot of people are, are living this life and um to hear that you don't have to is just i mean i can't even tell you um you know you t- you wrote about eudemonic uh, eudaimonic happiness and i yeah. thought that was just so important when you're dealing with such a frustrating and devastating um life which is what th- happens to you when when you have this inflammation so what is a eudaimonic life
1: it's um happiness that's derived from um activities that have a social purpose or a higher purpose. And it doesn't mean that you're Mother Teresa, but it means that you're happy when, say, your family is happy, you're happy when you're um, participating in community. It's happiness derived from helping other people. It's um, Hedonic is considered happiness that's derived from, say, um, eating a lot of food or drinking a lot or um, having a lot of sex, things that quote, make you happy, but they actually seem to have the opposite effect on your body. Mm -hmm. And that eudaimonic is associated with decreased production of inflammatory cytokines at the cellular level. I mean, it's amazing. And it's somehow our body has learned that those that promote others was more beneficial for our evolution. Only thing I can figure. And, you know, I want to point out, when people come to me, they usually are devastated, they get their genetics back, and then they feel even more helpless. Oh, my goodness, I have two dreaded genes, I'm never going to be better. And I usually point out, you know, I see a lot of people, I test a lot of people, I see people with, quote, two dreaded genes who are in their 60s, who've had families, and who are still working, and yes, they're tired. And yes, they don't feel quite as well, but their lives have not been devastated by it. So there are other things going on besides just these haplotype genetics or the methylation genetics because it's very popular now for everybody to come in with their methylation mutations and say, oh, I'm a double mutation and now I can't do this and that. And then I'm a very big one on, please, people do live with these and live very productive and full lives. We need to, A, get you better and, B, get you thinking in different ways about, you know, who you are and your potential um, than just sort of accepting that you're doomed to this forever.
0: Right, and taking medications and you get on that medication roller coaster where you with the best of intentions, are put on all these medications. And then when you try to come off of them, it is just, you know, it's, it's horrendous. And, you know, they haven't really helped, so you wind up getting what I call the medication roller coaster. So, um, you know, I'm so glad that you joined me. I want you to please give your website or whatever information you want to give out um, where people who suspect that they or their child may be going through this can um, get some help.
1: Sure. Um my website is ww.mypassionfor, and that's the number for health.com. So it's mypassionfor, the number for Um I would go to the blog section. That tends to be the most upkept. There are some very recent articles there on neuroinflammation and VIP, which is the end stage. It's a vasoactive intestinal peptide that Shoemaker uses as the end step mm-hmm. um, in, in biotoxin illness, and it also has some potent anti-inflammatory properties in the brain. There's also one on CBD oil, which we didn't have a chance to talk about, but I'm sure everyone listening or many people have seen the very dramatic videos of children with intractable seizures who become seizure-free on it. and Using CBD oil, what it's cannabinoids. Oh, um, absolutely. Cannabinoid. absolutely! right? Absolutely. And that also has a lot of anti-inflammatory effects in the brain, and it's not psychoactive. So there's it's exactly. It's
0: so, it's so misunderstood. If that's something you specialize in or you know a lot about, I would love to have you on because there is so much unnecessary suffering. Going on, and um, you know, I, I'm happy to see the new trend in the United States. Quite frankly, um, so if that's something you would like to come back on and talk about, um, I think that's just huge for you know, as you said, um, for children with autism, epilepsy, and a lot of other pain disorders. Um, so then, anybody who would like to contact um, you know, Dr. Ackerley, please do. Um, we're going to have on our website as much information as we can. I'm going to get the information from the interview um, and post that. I'm going to put that right on the top blog. Um, and, Dr. Ackley, I really appreciate you joining me.
1: Well, thank you very much. I really love being able to educate more people about this. It is so common. And it's 25% of the population that's considered vulnerable. 50% of our buildings in the U.S. by just OSHA standards, I believe, are water damaged, meaning exposure to mold mm-hmm. is extremely common and usually hidden. Usually people don't know um, and so that's an awful lot of people having an effect of biotoxin illness. Lots of times it's passed off as aging, getting older, oh, the kid has ADHD, it's not that bad. But oftentimes it seems as much more severe as the fibromyalgia, extreme fatigue, um, mm-hmm. learning disabilities, things like that. So getting that into people's awareness that that should be part of, you know, a workup of anyone that isn't getting better is really important to me.
0: Absolutely. And, again, I thank you so much for joining me. And um, I hope all of you will be able to come back on again.
1: Okay. I'd love to.
0: Thank you. Um, and Tuesday night we have um, School Struggles with Dr. Richard Selznick and he has a great guest. He has um, Dr. Fran Sherman coming on and they're going to be talking about the connection between um, teen stress and cutting um, and the increase in self-harm among some very stressed out teenagers. Um, I'm also thrilled to announce that we um, have finally announced the foundation, um, the institute, the Bright Not Broken, Lorna Wing Institute of America, which I am a of with Diane Kennedy, Rebecca Banks, and Gail Edwards. And please go to our website, www.thecoffeeclatch.com, to learn more about it. This is for gifted and twice exceptional children. Thank you again for joining us. Have a great weekend, everyone.